Hey everybody, Skip here for, I believe, it might be our 39th or 40th podcast. Uh, I will keep them coming as long as I am inspired to do so. I am giving this podcast from the parking lot of my work. I am working some overtime this week. And so I am sitting here in a parking lot with about 30 minutes to go before I have to go in. Uh, So I thought it might be a good time to uh, give a little podcast here. Uh, I want to talk about the fact that often when we read or we listen to or we watch these enlightened thinkers, that sometimes we get a sense that if we are to understand or discover what they are talking about, uh, we somehow lose uh, very unique and special parts of who we are. Uh, This podcast really comes from an interesting conversation I had recently about the fact that a lot of these uh, enlightened folks seem to be monotone or uh, don't share emotion in, in a very extreme way. Now, not all of them are like that. Some do, but uh, I think you get a sense when you read them or watch them or listen to them that they really are at a place where uh, they don't need to emote in extreme ways. And I think what comes out of that for the seeker, for you and I, is a sense of, of fear that there are parts of who we like parts of who we are that we like, pardon me, that are important. Uh, For instance, uh, I enjoy having a sense of humor. And for those of you who know me personally, you know that I do enjoy uh, posting funny things on Facebook or or telling the occasional joke, etc., etc. I think one of the great fears the spiritual seeker has is that they will end up sort of devoid of that part of themselves. Now, we come by this fear, honestly. Uh, Think about all the movies made about the enlightened ones. Think about the movies made about Jesus, for instance, where Jesus is sort of this uh, being who uh, goes through life, doesn't really smile or laugh, everything's sort of serious. And I remember at one point, Uh, I was given a picture of a Jesus that is laughing. And I shared that with people, and they were quite shocked. Uh, They had never thought about Jesus laughing, Jesus smiling. And so I want to talk a little bit about how we don't really uh, lose anything, but actually we gain even more of those best parts of who we are. Um, we may lose some cynicism when we look at things in a positive light, uh, but we gain joy. And from that joy that we gain as we discover who God made us to be, who we are supposed to be, you can hear the rain hitting the car. That's what that noise is, by the way. Uh, We discover uh, that those things that we find are important about who we are actually are enhanced. And they're enhanced because of a deep sense of joy 
that we have. Uh, I'm going to tell you a personal story about this. Uh, and, you know, for a long time, I didn't share a lot about my past, uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share as much as I can here. Uh, it's an important story to my journey, probably really the beginning of my journey. Uh, for, uh, from the age of 12 to the age of 27, I really suffered from addiction. Uh, eventually, through some really extreme circumstances, I went to a treatment center for drug and alcohol abuse treatment at the age of 27. And by this time in my life, I just had lost everything. Uh, because of my addiction, because of, of my selfishness, because of my uh, want, because of my ego, really, I had lost everything. Uh, literally, my family, my livelihood, uh, my ego was stripped bare. I had nothing left to lose. I had nowhere else to go. Uh, and for the first time in my life, at the age of 27, uh, I was really devoid, if you will, of ego. It, it had been stripped away through the circumstances of life. And I entered uh, into a treatment center in this fashion. Now, I didn't know that being devoid of ego or having your ego was the beginning of enlightenment. I didn't know uh, anything spiritually about any of that. I knew that I had nothing left to lose uh, and everything to gain by simply changing my life. And I remember having a conversation uh, with a fellow patient at that treatment center. And we were kind of talking about the things that led up to us being in that place. And I was thinking about that as I went back to my room and I lay down in my bed. And this was a very sterile sort of setting. There was nothing necessarily friendly about this room. And I looked around and, and that was really the moment when I had surrendered. And I shared a deep prayer of needing to know that I was forgiven needing to understand what real grace meant. And the moment I surrendered in that sort of prayer, in that thought, in that moment, a feeling of joy came over me that I cannot describe to you. A, a, a complete love grabbed hold of me and held on to me. I had never felt so comfortable in my life. And here I was at the end of really devastating addiction. I had lost everything in my life. I was in a treatment center and I felt enveloped in this absolute and total complete love. Felt total joy. Now, the feeling lasted maybe for an hour and then over the next course of the next few days it dwindled away as the remnants of my ego began to creep back in. And that feeling, now I'm 53 years old, I remember that feeling as though it was yesterday. That was really the beginning of my journey. Now the reason I want to, to tell you this story is because I think that's true. That when we really begin to let go of our preconceived notions of ourselves, 
when we let go of uh, these ideas and concepts and constructs of who we are, or better yet, when life strips us of these things, what we really find there is a joy that really surpasses understanding. That part of us that we know is there, that part of us that's able to love our spouse or our children, that deep part of us that is able to sacrifice, that deep part of us that is able to laugh, that deep part of us that is able to have compassion or empathy, that deep part of us that is able to cry, that is really us. And the more ego, the more uh, our sort of demands of life, the more of who we think we are that is stripped away from us, the more of that true self comes out. Now, I don't know why some of these spiritual writers seem devoid of emotion. A lot of them um, are intellectuals. A lot of them are academics. I don't really know. What I do know is this, that that when I can see life objectively, when I can step out of my own pain, when I can step out of my own thoughts, when I can look at these things without attaching myself to them, I find a deep joy that makes me a better father, makes me a better husband, makes me a better person, makes me see things more with humor and with grace and with hope. And so I want to just offer you that that it may seem as though uh, when we begin to understand that we are not what the world has made us to be, it may seem as though we are nervous and afraid of losing some of those things, but when in fact what is going on is we are gaining the best parts of who we are back. You see, the world teaches us fear. We've been taught to be afraid. We've been, we've been taught to think in scarcity. We've been taught to think in terms of, of not enough. We're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're not thin enough. We're not attractive enough. We're not rich enough. We've been taught to think in these ways. And once those ways fall away, the very best of who we are is what we discover. And I want to end with this, that I just want to remind everyone that what we are really doing here is not learning a new way of being necessarily, but it's rediscovering who we really are. There are parts of who we really are that are already there. That part of you that, that can show empathy and compassion, that part of you that can forgive, that part of you that does see the bigger picture, those are small glimpses of, of where we are headed. And so when we are talking about finding meaning, I think in part, we are really talking about a rediscovery or an uncovering of who we really are. Anyway, I hope this helps. Uh, thanks to my friend for the conversation that led to the podcast. Uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to private message me either through uh, Anchor or through the Facebook page. Thanks, guys. Hey guys, uh, Skip here for a look at God. I want to talk about God. A very loaded word, that word. 
Uh, the word God has been used to uh, do genocide. The word God has been used to begin wars. Uh, the word God has been used to and is still being used to judge other people for who they are or who they love. Maybe the word God is probably the most misused, misunderstood, uh, misguided word there is. And I may have said that in, in a prior podcast, but I think it's something that's worth coming back to often. Because we need to understand this idea of a higher power, of the universe at work, of God. So, one of the things I think that we struggle with, that I certainly struggle with, is when we bring God down to our size, when we try to make God human, when we try to make God understandable. Let me tell you a a brief story here. Uh, A few years ago, when I finally left the church, I was in a conversation with a friend, and... That friend said something very odd to me that stuck with me. She said, you might be angry, but don't be angry with God. And I thought that was an odd statement. And I thought about that for a long time. And what I came to understand was that my friend, and and she was trying to show great compassion, my friend equates the organization or the institution of the church with God. That that's her way of framing who God is. When she goes by a building or participates in a worship service, that is God. Not something that points to God, but that that represents God in God's totality. And although she meant well, what she was trying to say is, if you're angry with the church or disappointed with your organization, your synagogue, your temple, that then by nature or by proxy, you are mad at God. And nothing could have been further from the truth. As a matter of fact, uh, when I finally left the church, I was grateful uh, to God for the next moment, the next movement in my life, which is these podcasts and this Facebook page are really a product of uh, that, that growth through all that. Now, my friend is not the only one who tries to frame God in a way of understanding that is palatable. Matter of fact, I think we all try to do that. Uh, Very few people can be comfortable, completely comfortable, with the concept of not being able to know God completely. Because after all, shouldn't we be able to know God? Shouldn't we be able to define God? Shouldn't we be able to quantify or qualify who and what God is? I mean, that's what the human mind says. You know, I say a lot in these podcasts about concept, getting out of conceptual thinking, setting aside Uh, our learned and collective uh, behavior and moving into some more free place, somewhere more 
uh, open and expansive. And I want to say that we need to do that with God and, and who God is also. Uh, I believe that there is a higher power at work. I believe that there is a greater wisdom to the universe than just me. But I also believe, and I think I always have, that that higher power, that God, that wisdom that's greater than me is bigger than my concept of that. I mean, if you think about how far away the stars are, if you think about how vast uh, the universe is, uh, trillions and trillions of stars, and it, it's mind-boggling. And if we're to be honest with ourselves as human beings, how could we ever have the audacity to say that we know who God is, that God is this or that or the other? Or even the concept of saying, you know, God is unknowable, because I'm not sure that's true either. I think when we let go of those concepts, we stand a better chance of experiencing who God is. And I really think that's the only way that we can ever really fully understand that theology and and organizations around spirituality are often and for the most part constructs of human thinking. Think about how churches or temples or synagogues start and you'll begin to see that it comes from an idea. Now that idea may be seen as inspiration and then there may be a moment of inspiration that sparks the idea but unfortunately what happens is we retreat back into our own conceptual thinking very very quickly let me give you an example of this Uh, John Wesley the founder of the Methodist movement had an experience once of the transcendent God he was in a Bible study And at a place called Aldersgate Street, he had a moment of clarity, a moment of joy, a moment of comfort. But if you ever read Wesley or or understand or, or know anything about his journey, he quickly retreated from that transcendent moment back into a very linear, conceptual way of thinking. And that's really what we all do. We all experience God, or maybe most of us have some experience of God, and we immediately pull that back into our concepts. We either dismiss it as something weird or strange, or we try to quantify it as, as uh, something that we need to uh, make religious. Uh, you know, the old joke, I've experienced God, what do we do now? Let's form a committee. Uh, that's really what humans do. We do that because we operate out of conceptual thinking. That's our go-to place. That's what we've learned. We've learned to pull reality into our little box uh, because we think, at least subconsciously, I believe, if we let go of concept, the reality of our world, the reality of our universe becomes so big and so vast that we would actually disappear. Uh, 
that we would actually uh, realize how small we really are in the vastness of the universe and the vastness of reality. And so we operate out of this sort of conscious uh, construct so that we can sometimes believe we know all of reality. And there are many people who will tell you they know exactly what reality is. And what they're trying to tell you is that they have pulled all of reality into their box so they can understand it, so they don't feel too diminished by what they're experiencing. I mean, think about it. If we let go of our concepts, who are we? What are we? And I think a lot of people are very afraid of that question. Maybe even more afraid of the answer. I don't know. So, my understanding of God comes from experience. And those experiences come in in many ways. Uh, You know, uh, when I receive forgiveness or grace from another person, uh, when I see my children uh, smile, when my wife says she loves me, when when I see uh, someone... I'm in relationship with uh, when they're happy when people journey with me through my own sadness when people reach into the darkness that can be depression and offer each other a hand that for me is the proof of the higher power not what I believe but what I trust in And so, I hope, brothers and sisters, that you keep your eyes open for experiences of God. And when you have them, when you have those moments of grace that seem bewildering to you, when you have those moments when you're looking at the stars and you realize there must be something bigger, don't pull that back in. Don't try to put that in a box. Don't try to put that away where your brain can fathom it. Just experience it. Let go of those conceptual ways of thinking. Now, one might say, oh, Skip, well, you got to believe something. Well, I don't know about that. Because I believe that belief, at least the way we do it in our Western world, is all about concept. I like to say you have to know things rather than believe them. You have to be things rather than believe in them. I know that there's a higher power because I see it at work. And I trust it. Doesn't mean I'm going to get my way. Doesn't mean I'm going to understand everything. Uh, But it does mean that I'm not alone and I'm not so small that I'll disappear. So folks, I hope that you're able to take some time in your life Look for those moments of transcendent love and grace because I'm firmly in the belief that we have to experience God to know God. That I do believe. That I do know. That you have to look inside and look around and see 
that you must experience grace in order to give it. You must experience love in order to share it. You must experience those things. Because if we don't, if we don't go from experience, if we only go from a belief in concepts, then it's easy to dismiss other people. It's easy to say that we're right and they're wrong. And we are right back where we started. So, you know, believe in things, you know. You can believe that that your football team is going to win. You can believe that and hope for that your kids will be a success. You can believe that your job is, is the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. But what we can't do is take that idea of belief, take that idea of concept and apply it to God. Because God is beyond belief. God is beyond religious construct. God is beyond everything. May you experience that and know it. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later.